morning, everyone. We're going old school this morning with responsive reading. All right, those of you who, who grew up in traditional churches, you're like, yes, been waiting five years for this at Kettlebrook. So, um, hey, is anybody participating in the run today? How many of you? There you go. Good job. Yeah, I'm participating in it. And uh, I'm so excited that Sharice just had a baby, so I don't have to worry about competing against her. So <laughs> I was out uh, doing some training for, for the run, you know, and I was out hitting the Zilmer trails. And um, I came back and I told my wife, I said, I think I, I think I reached a new personal record. I don't think I've ever run that slow in my life. <laughs> I said, I got this Garmin watch that it keeps track of my distance and my time and my pace and everything like that. And my, I think my watch kept on buzzing and saying, are you sure you're running? You're, I think you're walking right now, but, uh, but I think, no, no, I'm, I'm running actually. And, uh, but since today is, uh, this run, and since many of us here are going to be participating in that run, I thought it'd be good to start with some inspirational running quotes, you know? My wife is, uh, actually the cross country coach for the, uh, for the girls team at, at West Bend East, and every year they get these t-shirts made, and on the back of the t-shirts, is an inspirational quote that is there to motivate them. So when you're busy dragging yourself across the asphalt in the hot, you know, fall heat, you can read the back of your teammates' T-shirt and, and be inspired to, to keep moving. So, so I thought we'd, we'd start with some of these quotes. This one here is, is, To give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. And that's by Steve Profontaine, who I think, wrote about half of the motivational running quotes out there. Okay, this guy was like a, a master. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Whoa, isn't that motivational? There you go, okay. That's a, running is the greatest metaphor for life because you get out of it what you put into it. From that great long-distance runner, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Others make excuses to quit. And you make excuses to keep going. That's right. There you go. Keep going. And lastly, they said it couldn't be, I couldn't do it. They said the road was too long. The journey was too arduous. They were, oh, dry heaves. Hang on. <laughs> I think that's, that's my inspirational quote right there. You know, these, these motivational quotes, they remind me that there is no lack to advice out there. There's no vacuum of philosophies or guidance or counsel that people will give you from time to time. Advice about life and how to live it. We're starting a new, very short series today. It's just two weeks long that we're calling The Keys to Life. And, and if, if I were to ask you, what is the key to life? What do you think you would say? How would you answer that question? If someone who, who respects you, if someone who looks up to you were to come up to you and say, Grandpa and Grandma, Mom, Dad, what is the key to life? What is the key to living a good life? To the, the point where I get to the end of my life and, and look back on my life and not live a life of regret. What, what do you think you would answer them? How would you, you answer that question? Now, I've heard several pieces of advice, you know, throughout my years on how to live a good life. One person said, if you discover what you love to do, and then you do that as your employment, you'll never work another day in your life. I have this plaque at home 
it is, it is made by Bob Gilster here, and uh, we see it every day. And it says, it, says, it says, this is life's written guarantee. If you think of others first, your life will be sweet. If you think of, of yourself first, your life will be sour. He says, this is life's written guarantee. Is that Bob's quote, or did he get that from somewhere? <laughs> he must have gotten that from somewhere, because he could have never come up with that on his own. <laughs> live, you know, live each day as if it was your last, okay? But while, you know, there, there may be a sense of truth to each one of these quotes, in the end, I think they, they fail to deliver a comprehensive rule of life that guides how a person might live before God, before others, and before themselves. And for those of us who here who follow Jesus Christ as their, as their leader this morning, we tend to direct our attention not to Pinterest, not to the Internet to find inspiration and motivation, but we direct our attentions to the ancient scriptures, which has been time-tested and proven to provide insight and guidance and, a, and a, a kind of a moral compass for life for generation after generation. Now, this is a pretty big book, and there are plenty of places we could go in this book to find a rule of life. I mean, here we have, you know, the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus in here. It's kind of hard to improve on that, right? We have, the, you know, the, the discourses of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was absolutely brilliant, you know, so we could go anywhere in there. But it's, it's really interesting that even Jesus, when the, the chips were down, when he was in the crucible, when he is facing one of the biggest challenges of his life, Jesus did not go to himself for his own wisdom. He actually went to the ancient scriptures that he knew, and he specifically went to a specific book in the Bible when he was looking for motivation and inspiration when he was in that crucible. And the place that he went to were the first several chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. Which, which is the, the verses that we just got a chance to read together and uh, that Dan read for us. And so what I want to do is, if we're going to find a key to life and how to live it, I would presume to you that we would find it here in these verses. That if, if the Son of God thought that it was important to go to this section of Scripture, then perhaps, perhaps it might be important for us to go here as well, if we are looking for keys to life. So, I want to invite you to turn your Bible to Deuteronomy. We're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, and just read verses 12 and 13 together. You'll find that on page 133 of your Red Bibles, if you have a Red Bible. If you don't have a Red Bible, I don't know what page you'll find that on. Um, or you can turn it on your phone, or your iPad, or anything like this. Now, just I want to give you some quick background to, the, to the, uh, what we're looking at in Deuteronomy. In order to really understand this section of Scripture, you need to understand the context. And what is happening right here is that the Israelites, the people of God, are at the very end of a long and arduous journey. A 40-year journey, to be exact. Okay, They have just been wandering around through the desert for the last 40 years. Now, they got there because they, 40 years earlier, they had gotten to the point where they had gotten right up to the very doorpost, the very threshold of the land that God had promised them all along, for years and years and years, through generations. He had promised to give them this land. 
And they got up to the, to, the, to the borders of the land. They sent in the drones. They spied it out, you know, and they came back with this report. And they didn't send out drones. I'm just kidding. They didn't have drones back then. Um, and, and they came back with this report, and they're like, they're like, it really is a good land. It's a great land. You should see some of the crops, you know. And they got this great but But at this critical point in their story, they make the, the, just the disastrous decision to let fear be their motivational uh, factor in making decisions and not faith. And they say, we can't go in there. We can't overcome the people. They are too strong. They are too powerful. And we can't do it. And they refuse to trust the promises of God. And they refuse to actually go in and even attempt to take the land that God had promised them. And God essentially says to them at that point, okay, you refuse to trust me. You refuse to obey me. You refuse to, to actually accept this wonderful land that I've prepared for you and promised to you. You're not going to go in. And all of you are going to wander in the desert for 40 years. And then everyone 20 years old and over is going to die in that desert. And then when you come back here, then your next generation, your younger generations, they're going to be the ones who get this land that I have promised them. And that is where they are in Deuteronomy right now. And so Moses, as he's just getting ready to to send these people into the land, is rehearsing and reciting the law that he got back in Mount Sinai, you know, 40 years earlier in Exodus chapter 20. And you, you read the, we, if you read Deuteronomy, the first 10 chapters, 11 chapters, they, you see the, the Ten Commandments again. You're like, well, didn't we read the Ten Commandments already? Yes, we did read the Ten Commandments. They were back in Exodus chapter 20, okay? But in Exodus chapter 20, they had just come out of, of Egypt. And God is saying, this is what it looks like to be my people. And he gives them the law for the first time. Now they're 40 years later, and they're about to go into this new chapter of their life, and Moses is rehearsing and rereading that same law. In fact, the word Deuteronomy means second law because it's the second reading of the law of Moses. So different context, but same law. And so Moses is, is, just, is just saying to them, okay, in this time, you know, don't mess it up this time do, do you get it right this time we know that you can do it so um so in in deuteronomy chapter 10 12 through 13 we read these verses and now O israel what does the lord your god ask of you but to fear the lord your god to walk in his ways to love him to serve the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Okay? God is, in essence, giving the Israelites the key to life here, a life that is lived wisely and lived well in their new home. And one of the main keys to life that he keeps coming up again and again in this extended portion of scriptures, these first 11 chapters, is to fear the Lord. In fact, he mentions fear the Lord five times in five chapters here, and he says, and he says, and now, O, Lord, o Israel, what does the Lord require you but to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord, to God with all your heart and all your soul? And he says, for your own good. Can you hear kind of the hope and pain mingled together in God's voice, almost like a parent sending off their kid to college, <laughs> you know, where you're giving them this last advice and you're hoping that they're hoping against hope that they will follow it, that it'll save them from all sorts of heartache, all sorts of disastrous decisions. And you're just like, 
praying that they will make good decisions. That's, in essence, the situation that Israel is in right now. And God, as the parent, is sending them in there. And he's saying, he's saying, now what is it that I'm asking you? This is for your own good. Fear the Lord. Walk in his ways. Love him. Serve him with all your heart and commands. And really, the, the big idea for this morning, the key to life, is that fearing the Lord is, is not only appropriate. Fearing the Lord is not only appropriate. It is the beginning of all wise and good living. Fearing the Lord is not only the appropriate thing to do, but is the beginning of all wise and good living. Now, some of you might be here and say, be saying to yourself, well, that's not how I grew up, you know, and I, my family is all love, you know, is I, fear and love, they're like mutually exclusive. I don't think that you can actually have the two together, but I would, I would beg to differ. I think that we operate under this principle all the time. All the time. And any good parent-child relationship has this mixture of, of both love and fear, right? And they, they exist together. I'll never forget that this, this was actually driven home to me quite, quite clearly when I was a young kid, just about eight years old. I, I had this uncle. He was our favorite uncle, Uncle Kenny. Uncle Kenny lived in Texas, down in Waco, Texas, Waco, Texas. And he uh, was just your crazy uncle. He was uh, really, really wealthy. He had started a whole chain of stores down there. And so he would come up to, you know, Kreitzfield uh, and Waukesha, pick us up in his private airplane and fly us back down to, to Texas and show us a good time down there. And, and we just loved Kenny because he was wild and he was crazy and he was fun. And, and we were down there one time. My brother and I, we were eight years old. And we were down there just having this great time. And we were going whitewater rafting. We had stopped at this gas station, loaded up on supplies and stuff like that. And we were, there were a couple of cars, and I was in the back seat sitting between my two cousins who were about eight years older than me. They're, they're Kip and Mark. They're about you know, 15 and 17 at the time, and they were as wild and crazy as their dad. Okay? They're a little bit, little bit you know, they're mischievous. They're troublemakers. And at the gas station, they picked up a jar of jalapeno peppers. And they knew that I, as a young kid, loved pickles. And they're like, they're like, they're like, Mike, they're like, you love pickles, don't you? I'm like, oh, I love pickles. Yeah. You know, I just love all kinds of pickles. And they're like, you're going to love these pickles. You're just going to, these are awesome pickles. Just grab one of these things and, and just take a big bite out of it. You're going to love it. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm eight years old. These guys are 15, 17. I'm a boy. So I take this big bite out of this, out of this alabini pepper. I'm like, ah! and I start crying. And Uncle Kenny, we're in the middle of this country road, pulls over the car. And he goes, what's going on back there? And I'm like, Kip and Mark, they told me that these were pickles and a hot pepper. And he goes, and he looks back at his two kids, Mark and, Mark and Kip, and he says, he says, Mark and Kip, finish the jar. And they're like, they're like, Dad, no. And he's like, he's like, I'm not driving any further until you guys finish that jar. And then, so they start eating these jalapeno peppers. And their tears are running down their face. And, and I was sitting there looking at these two guys. You know, before I loved Uncle Kenny, you know, and I still loved Uncle Kenny, but I had a new, new appreciation for Uncle Kenny. I had a fear for Uncle Kenny that I had not had before, you know. And, and, and that's, that's kind of the situation that these Israelites were in. You know, they had this, this loving God, but they're, you can just imagine them. They're on the doorstep of this land that God has given them again. And God's saying, 
go in. Don't mess it up this time. And they're like, we won't. We saw what happened to our parents. We saw what happened to our aunts and uncles when they didn't do it. We know how you roll, God. We want to have this, you know, healthy respect for who you are. And really, this, that's exactly how any good parenting relationship lives. He says, we, we tend to focus on the fact that God is loving and that God is forgiving and God is compassionate and is kind. And, and he is all those things, all those nice things. But we forget the fact that he is also holy. He is jealous. He is righteous. And he is just. And these things are just a, a much a part of who he is as the first category. And the fear of the Lord begins by having a right and healthy respect for his power, for his authority, for his character, who he is. He is the one who sets, set the universe into existence. He knows how it runs, and he knows how we are to best live in it. So let's put it that verse again, 10, 12 through 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Now, to a certain degree, there's some repetition here, okay? To fear the Lord is somewhat synonymous with walking in his ways, which is synonymous with serving him with all his heart, which has to do with observing his commands. So fearing the Lord and loving the Lord, are, they're not mutually exclusive, as if one cancels the other out. It's at that when we are loving the Lord, when we're setting our affections on him, when we are caught up in who he is, in his goodness, in his grandeur, in his majesty, in his power, we begin to understand that he has our best interests at heart that he set the world into motion. And we begin to have this healthy respect for who he is and that his ways are good and that his ways are right. And, and we begin to fear what might happen when we stray from them. It's, it's his ways, the, the, his, his commands, they're not arbitrary. He's the one who set the world into existence. He's the one who designed it. He knows how it is to be best lived inside of it. And when we stray from his commands, when we stray from his decrees, we run the risk of getting into all sorts of trouble. And we just, fear of the Lord has to do with recognizing that fact. It's almost like his commands are an umbrella. And if it's pouring rain outside, as long as you, sit, as long as you stay underneath the umbrella of God's protective commands, you won't get wet. But the minute you begin to stray from his, from his commands, from his decrees, from his ways, you are going to get, you're just going to get wet. And some people are very surprised. They're like, what happened? I got wet. You know, my life started falling apart. The wheels came off. Well, you know what? You began to stray from God's command. And having a fear, healthy fear of the Lord has to do with understanding that his ways are best. And if you stray from them, there's no guarantees of how your life is going to work out. You know, this is this, this law of consequences. We, we live by this all the time. I remember when we were, uh, our family was um, down on a, on, a, on a missions trip to uh, the uh, uh, resort staff of Cancun <laughs> in Mexico. Actually, we weren't on a mission trip. We were on a vacation. And, and, and I was there, and we, were just got, we had just gotten there. And my son, Luke, who is, uh, you know, just about 13 years old at the time. So when you're 13 years old, you know everything. And, and we are putting on, on sunscreen, and 
uh, you know, I'm like, Luke, here, put on some sunscreen. And he's like, no, Dad, I'm good. I'm like, okay. Are you sure? I, you, know, I, you should probably put on some sunscreen. No, no, I'm good. Okay. All right. I, I, just, I wasn't, I wasn't going to push it. And so he went the whole day <laughs> without putting on sunscreen. And that night, we could hear him whimpering in his bed. Because <laughs> I'm like, Luke, that's what happens when you don't put on sunscreen. You know, you have to understand that there are consequences to behavior. And that's the way it is with the Lord. We have to understand that when he's telling us something, it's for our best. It's for our good. This is the way he has designed the universe to work. Just fear the Lord. Now, there's this thing out there that, that you know, the God of the Old Testament is kind of this wrathful, vengeful, angry God. And the God of the New Testament is this, you know, Jesus kind of brings out God's inner child. And he's kind and he's good and he's forgiving and, and all of that. And I know I say this all the time, but this time I really mean it, okay? Nothing could be further from the truth, okay? The God is the one God throughout all of the scriptures, and he's consistent throughout. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's, there's about ten times more verses about how good and compassionate and gracious and kind and forgiving God is than talks about his, just, his justice and his wrath and, his, and, uh, and all of that, okay? But beyond that, Jesus talked about fearing the Lord as well. If we put up some of these verses, you'll find Jesus himself said, he goes, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do, more, do more, no more. But I will tell you whom you should fear. Fear him whom after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus tell us, telling us it's appropriate and right to have a good and healthy fear of the Lord. Okay? And then David in Psalm 110 or 111 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. If you want to have good understanding, it begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. His son, David's son, Solomon, then wrote this in Proverbs chapter 9. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I wonder where he got that from. He probably got it from his dad, David, who wrote the the psalm. And the knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning of understanding. This is not some isolated verse that we find tucked away just in Deuteronomy. This is something that is all throughout the scriptures. The Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is not only appropriate, not only appropriate, is the be- it is the beginning of all right and good and wise living. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And, and, and sometimes I think to understand how this works is, is the best to look at examples of when we don't fear the Lord, when we don't follow his ways, when we don't have a good, healthy respect for how he set up the universe. I uh, recently I've had the chance, opportunity to, to minister with people in the context of Celebrate Recovery, which is our recovery ministry um, at Kettlebrook meets on Wednesday nights. And, uh, and there, when you're dealing with recovery, you're interacting and you're dealing with a lot of people who have been through a lot of brokenness because of the choices that they have made. And they lived a life where they did not fear the Lord. They did not walk in his ways. They did not put him as a first priority in his life. And because of that, they got into all sorts of trouble. And the wheels began to come off of their life. And just this last Saturday, I was sitting with my friend Tim, who's from Celebrate Recovery. And Tim got to a point where he just bottomed out. 
And he gave himself and his life over to the control of Jesus Christ. And, and today, Tim is a different person. He's saying, he's like, why would I want to go back? He's like, he's like I'm good with the wifey. <laughs> I've, I've got consistent work now. I'm reconciled with my family. He says, everything's going well for me now. When I was going in that direction, my life was falling apart. But now that I've begun to follow Jesus, my life has come back together. And he might not use this terminology, but what Tim has discovered is a healthy and right fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to live a life that is good and right and wise, it begins by understanding a proper fear of the Lord. So let me just pray. Father God, as we look to your scriptures this morning, we are looking for keys, for handles, how we can live our life. And I I think about that there might be people here who are saying, I I, I want to fear the Lord. I I want to follow his ways. I want to do what he commands. And... They may be asking themselves, what, what are your commands? I think of the words of Jesus who said that the, the works of God, the commands of God is simply this. To believe in the one whom he has sent. Lord, if there's anyone here who has not bowed the knee to your son Jesus as the authority and the king of their lives, I pray that this morning they might pledge allegiance to King Jesus, maybe for the first time in their life. That is the beginning of the fear of the Lord. To follow His ways, to allow Him to be the controlling influence in our lives through Your Holy Spirit. God, we want to be a people who are defined and characterized by having a healthy respect and fear for who you are, so we might be able to live right and well in this world you've called us to. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.